Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Very good morning to you. And it definitely does, as it just it feels very chilly this morning. I couldn't believe I was out de-icing uh, the windscreen of my car this morning before eight, before I headed into work. I was just saying, for God's sake, what is it? The 6th of May and here am I de-icing my car. The good news is, though, um, that the sun- sunshine and showers are going to dominate our weather forecast across the the rest of this week into the weekend and even if there's going to be sunshine and showers into next week but Met Aaron are saying it is going to become milder it's looking like from about Sunday onwards while we'll still have this mixed bag of weather with nice bright sunny spells and it'll be intermingled with some showers some of the showers uh, could be widespread and could be heavy but it is going to start to get a little bit milder I mean we're looking at Sunday we could have temperatures up to uh, 15 degrees which is uh, and it should start to rise and get a little bit milder as we go into next week so we will take that for sure. Uh, 1850 John Paul taking your calls on this Thursday morning as we welcome you along to the programme. You can text or WhatsApp 086 103 and I can already see a lot of your texts and calls coming into the programme this morning. Mary in North Cork has just been on. This is just on vaccines and we've been kind of touching on this every day this week because of course we know the portal has now opened for the over 50 year old we're down to the 57 year olds today are able to register for your vaccine hsc.ie are 1850-24-1850 but Mary contacted us because she said her husband is 68 so he registered on the day that the portal opened it would have been the second day that the portal opened for the over 60 year olds they did the 69 year olds first and then it went to the 68 year olds so he's now registered three weeks and he's heard nothing absolutely nothing he said no word of when he's going to get his uh, vaccination and Mary said they started to get a bit worried because other people around them and people that they know in their early 60s even somebody uh, 64 year olds living around them have all either received a vaccine or have a date to go for a vaccine this week or next week and Mary's husband was hearing nothing so they decided to ring the HSE and the HSE took Mary's husband's details and said that they'll flag it on the system and she came off the phone going okay that's great they're flagging it on the system but now she's wondering did anybody else ring the HSE and have the registration flagged on the system and what did that mean did they within a day or two then receive an appointment if anybody else that rings the bell with anybody else let us know how you got on if the HSE flagged your registration on the system I I am scratching my head trying to work out how the appointments are sent out and who gets the appointments 
and how they actually decide it. I'm con- absolutely convinced that it isn't human beings going down through all the registrations because that simply would take too long. So I'm convinced it's some kind of a computer generated programme is what they're using. But I initially thought with the way the registrations began in that it was the 69, 68, 67, 66 and it was all done on a different day and they're doing the same now with the 50 year olds. I initially was thinking, OK, they'll possibly work down through that list then. So the 69 year olds will be called first and then the 68, the 67s, the 66s. That definitely doesn't seem to be happening because we had people in same households like a 65 year old and a 68 year old and the 65 year old got a vaccine ahead of the 68 year old. So there's I I still can't work it out. I still can't work it out how it is uh, being done. But they are certainly getting through. There's a lot of people in their 60s who certainly have already received their first vaccine are going this week or have appointments to go next week. And, and hopefully everyone who is registered, if there are any little glitches in the system, I'm sure there isn't. But uh, hopefully everybody who has registered will get their uh, appointment. And yesterday we were speaking about international travel on the programme and we were speaking with Billy Kelly and Billy Kelleher was outlining what the EU were trying to do and there is this sense across all of the EU countries, particularly the EU countries that very much rely on tourism in the summer. There's big talks about trying to get international, safe international travel back up and running and trying to get tourists into tourist hotspots, which would include obviously parts of our own country here. And yesterday when we were talking about it, there was a couple of people who were nervous about the whole idea of nervous saying, no, I don't think I'm ready to get on a plane yet, even if I'm vaccinated. And then other people were saying I don't were feeling uncomfortable about the idea of people coming from other countries and coming into this country and would there be a danger that they might bring viruses with them and bring new variants of the virus uh, with them well it seems that outbreaks of COVID-19 linked to international travel has made a comeback in this uh, country and that more than ever of course highlights the risk posed from people travelling to and from Ireland but particularly people coming from abroad into Ireland. It's to do with the case of two flight related outbreaks last week and it involved five to seven people. Now when you look at the period from the 20th of April up to last Monday the 3rd of May so that sort of one week period. Travel related cases of the virus rose to 214. Now that was mainly due to tests on people coming here who had entered mandatory quarantine. So that was two, the 214 people who had got onto a plane who were coming from countries where they knew they would have to go into a hotel for two weeks and go into the mandatory quarantine hotel. And then of course when they're in the hotel for, it's 12 days isn't it in total, they have to get tested on the day they arrive and they get tested again. I think it is on day five and then on day 10. And if all three tests are clear, they're then free to leave the mandatory quarantine hotel. Well, 214 of them who would have gotten on a plane with a negative PCR test to say that they they believed they didn't have COVID-19 and 214 of them tested positive inside the hotel. The one thing it does show is that the hotel quarantining system is working because they are people that would have gone out into the community. Now, you would hope that many of them would have been responsible and would have self-isolated, but not all of them would have self-isolated and then you would have the danger of them being out and about and spreading whatever, spreading the COVID-19 uh, virus. And these figures now are expected to have an influence on the decision on how soon people will be able to take a holiday abroad and on how soon we can expect incoming uh, tourism. An awful lot is being pinned 
on what we spoke yesterday about with Billy Kelleher, the European Union's Digital Green Certificate. Now, this Digital Green Certificate would allow EU citizens who have been vaccinated, who have tested negative or who have who have recovered from COVID-19 to travel more freely within the bloc. All samples taken from the people in the mandatory quarantine are now sequenced, which gives a much more advanced form of analysis and that's to try to find out if any of them has a variant of concern. I mean, that's what we don't want coming into this country. We're struggling already with the the B117, the Kent version of it. It's the one where, that has has caused the most problems in this country. We certainly don't want a new variant of concern coming in that could be even more uh, contagious. So they're doing all of the sequencing on any of the cases as well. And then our figures for yesterday, 418 more cases. We're still kind of stubbornly stuck, aren't we, between the four and the 500 numbers. Uh, three quarters of them under the age of 45. I take hope from that because that does mean that the over 45s, the bulk, the certainly the over 70s, the bulk of which have already been vaccinated. There's very, very small numbers now of people over the age of 70 and hopefully we're going to see the same with the over 60s once, they, once they're vaccinated and it'll be the same with the over 50s. So the numbers will start to drop the more people that are vaccinated and also some sort of positive news coming from the hospitals and again this will be tied in with the number of people who have been vaccinated COVID-19 patients in hospital fell to 137 that's the lowest it has been for many many months and patients in intensive care also dropping they are down to uh, 37 and then I couldn't believe the story that I was watching unfold on social media last night and it's making all of the papers today and this is a story out of Longford where armed Gardaí were called to ensure that a 2,000 square foot marquee which was erected to host a wedding reception in Longford yesterday they were they moved in to try to get this marquee taken down local authority chiefs in Longford had to go to court they had to secure a circuit court order yesterday morning for the marquee's removal following its emergence it's adjacent to a halting site and it had gone up 24 hours previously and obviously a marquee of that size it's not easily hidden it stands out like a sore thumb so several units of uniformed Gardaí were drafted in to maintain what has been described as a watchful brief at the site it's understood the marquee had been installed to host upwards of 200 people who were hoping to attend a traveller wedding. Now, a number of the wedding party had earlier attended a ceremony in St Mel's Cathedral. And I'm interested to know what they mean by a number of people. I mean, if you have a wedding, you're only allowed, are we still at six people and the couple into the church? So how many were actually in the ceremony in St Mel's Cathedral? Anyway, Longford. County Council obviously worried when they saw this marquee structure going up. They said they were left with little choice but they had to get an emergency court uh, order. Gardaí were providing assistance to the council following the granting of the court uh, order. Now it does seem the Gardaí and the council did their very best. There were several attempts made by Angarda Siakona to engage with both the wedding organiser and the owner of the marquee asking them please to take it down. All of that failed and the Gardaí did you know what they normally do. They're four E's. They explain, engage, encourage. Then of course it comes down to enforcement in the end and it the enforcement was the Longford local authority, the county council, had to end up going to the circuit court to get a court order. But just on. Un- 
unbelievable to think that two, oh, upwards of 200 people thought it was okay to get into a marquee and have a big hoolie for a wedding. And within the travelling community, I was reading an article in another paper showing an increase in the numbers of cases within the travelling community. I mean, the message has got to be driven home to all members of a society, but particularly members of society where it seems that, you know, the COVID-19 is, is spreading just how important it is on social distancing and hand washing and hopefully for them to get the vaccine as well. Uh, but it, it'll be an age cohort uh, thing. And of course, Donegal, all eyes have been on Donegal and what's been happening in Donegal. And we mentioned yesterday about the Garda hotline where they're looking for members of the public to ring in about tip-offs from the public in Donegal, uh, if there was any breaches to the COVID-19 regulations. Well, the Gardaí has said that they have experienced a high volume of calls, which I think some of our listeners will be surprised by, because yesterday when I mentioned it, snitches kept being mentioned and people were raging about the fact that this hotline had been uh, set up. Now, the Gardaí say a number of the calls, the calls were particularly high on Tuesday. They levelled off. They were lower for yesterday. But then they also had a problem in that they were getting calls not related to County Donegal at all. A source within the Gardaí said we had people from all other counties calling to alert the Gardaí of things that were happening in other counties around the country. But the, they, whether they said the message, the mixed messaging or wrong messaging went out, this phone line, and that's why I didn't even call out the phone line, the hotline number. It is only for Donegal. It's based at Letter uh, Kenny Garda Station, but it was only to report incidents in uh, Donegal. One source of the Gardaí said people who are genuinely concerned about breaches of the regulation have been calling, but they said the problem was them. A lot of it was fairly difficult situations for the Gardaí to police now that, that the restrictions had been released. Uh, one member was referencing the fact that people were ringing up saying, oh, there's loads of public places that's crowded there's loads of people uh, there you are allowed to meet up with other family members outside and that's not a breach of the COVID-19 regulations it's if somebody organises for 300 people to meet and gather in a park that would be a a breach and the confidential dedicated hotline for tips is for tips about parties about gatherings in contravention of the COVID-19 regulations not to say that there's too many people down on a particular park or there's too many people down at uh, the beach. And the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dr Roland Glynn, uh, he says, this is when people were saying, why don't we lock down Donegal? If Donegal is that bad, why not let the rest of the country open up? As we know, it's going to start opening up from next Monday. But why not keep restrictions in place in Donegal? Well, Roland Glynn said there were no plans to keep County Donegal in lockdown from uh, Monday. But he did appeal to those, those, he said, that are pushing the boundaries to please stop and to follow the public health uh, advice and there's one doctor and he's Anthony Breslin is his name he's the Director of Public Health for the HSC in the North West and he was just giving an example of how things have gone wrong in Donegal and how people think I should we'll only have this little bit of a party and it will be fine and he'd listed a number of cases of outbreaks he, there was an outbreak following a family event obviously some kind of a party had happened it led to 32 cases it w- led to a case in a childcare facility. It led to cases in several different households and that was from all one family event. They also then have had birthday parties and there's one birthday party where 19 cases 
came from just one birthday party and that ended up involving three families and then one of the worst cases that they were highlighting unfortunately was to do with a wake somebody passed away funeral went ahead and everyone came back to a particular house and out of that one wake there were 84 cases and that's sort of what Dr Tony Houlihan was referring to last week everybody knows about these cases in Donegal where they were saying the dogs on the street know about it William Donnerail happy man today he was on to say would you please say a big thank you to all of the staff at Caragoon GAA Centre in Mallow Vaccination Centre for the North Cork area Willie said I got my first jab yesterday and they were all fantastic including the security staff so all in Mallow Caragoon please take a bow Hi Patricia you mentioned the situation in Longford yesterday today with this traveller wedding and this large marquee for up to 200 guests. What you failed to say at the end of your story was that that wedding celebration actually went ahead. I think it was the Sergeant Delaney who said last night that all negotiations had uh, failed. Yes, the Gardaí in Longford said that they liaised with both families. They liaised with the marquee owner, served them with the written copies of the current state COVID-19 public health guidelines but both chose not to engage with them and he said despite that rebuttal files on any suspected breaches well there's more than suspected breaches isn't it it is it's a definite breach of the regulations will now be sent to the Director of Public Prosecution so let's see what the DPP has to say well somebody else says Patricia this country is all laws but no enforcement the travellers won't bother with restrictions and it will pay off because they'll be tolerated and wait and see now they'll be vaccinated long before the rest of us the bold child always seems to get rewarded in this uh, country and John in Yall staying with that Longford story said is it not a little bit strange that they sent four members of Angarda Siakona to shut down a mass in Cavan uh, when yet they couldn't stop this wedding party going ahead in uh, Longford. It's almost like they're untouchable. Is it not hypocrisy? Well, I suppose I saw some video footage of the Gardaí going into the mass in Cavan and they asked people to leave and people left. I suppose that's that's the difference. People are law abiding and when, when well, it was pointed out to them you're not meant to be in the church here folks they up and left whereas with the situation in Longford yesterday they did engage they did liaise they did try to get both families to not have this uh, event. They did ask the marquee owner to take down the marquee and all refused so now they are in direct breach of the COVID restrictions and now it's the DPP will take over and we'll see what happens uh, from there. And someone else just on religious events says, Tricia, in the name of God, can we please not have our first Holy Communion Masses, particularly for the children that didn't get it last year? This needs to be sorted out. We are at our wits end. Uh, Something needs to be done about it. I think first Holy Communion Masses, says this listener, are more important than uh, weddings and it's happening everywhere and we should be allowing our children to have First Holy Communion. I did see something in the paper that they're hoping that First Holy Communion events will go on during the summer months. They will certainly be later because normally it's around now. We'd be into First Holy Communion season now. So I think certainly there's talks with masses reopening for 50 people from Monday. There's certainly talks of having the First Holy Communion events and obviously it'll be up to in each individual diocese and each individual parish as to when it goes ahead. Your texts are welcome to 0862 103 103. 
Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Alcohol campaigners and health officials have welcomed a move this week to introduce minimum pricing of alcohol from the beginning of next year. Alcohol Action Ireland has been campaigning for such a move for some time now. And joining me from Alcohol Action Ireland, Ewan McKinney. Good morning to you, Ewan. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. And I have to say, I was thinking about this yesterday when I knew that you were coming on the programme this morning. I've actually lost count of the number of times I've (laughs) spoken to you about minimum unit uh, pricing. Can you understand why the government delayed introducing it? Well, look, I mean, I think it's... um Sometimes, in, in uh, as we've seen, it, certainly during the last year with COVID, sometimes the priorities of public health get get wrapped up in the priorities of trying to keep an economy and trying to keep society, trying to keep an economy going and trying to keep society happy. And sometimes, you know, it's not always easy for government to perhaps uh, choose uh, the, the benefits of public health uh, singularly. But I think on this occasion, thankfully, um, we have seen a significant degree of courage taken by the government. Um, and I pay you know, my deepest compliments to the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, in relation to this matter and Stephen Donnelly, because I think it does take a certain degree of bravery to do what they did uh, over the last few days. And, you know, frankly, we'll all be a little bit better off because of this measure and certainly lives will be saved. Interesting that it's Micheál Martin again because it was Micheál Martin was responsible for the smoking ban in the workplace and look how successful that was. And at the time, I remember everybody saying, that'll never work. They'll never be able to introduce that. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not here, obviously, to, you know, <laughs> carry a political broadcast, but you're right. I mean, he, you know, I, I, do, I do believe that Taoiseach understands the benefit of public health interventions. Um, and so, you know, what we what we know from world, the WHO and from all the evidence across the globe that price is a fundamental part in what um, drives the demand for alcohol. So if we can reduce the affordability of alcohol, we will reduce the level of alcohol harms and save lives, and that's what this is about. It's it's not about prohibition, you know, and you know it's not about trying to deny people of the pleasure, you know, what the pleasure of alcohol. What this is about is just trying to ensure that we drink a little less. And the target in relation to uh, minimum unit pricing is that we could see overall about an eight percent reduction in alcohol consumption and that's a that's a really big prize in the context of public health because what that means in practice is there'll be less presentation to our emergency departments by people who are the heaviest users and doing the greatest harm to themselves around alcohol those acute alcohol episodes will fall hospital presentations will fall and ultimately lives will be saved I know one of the reasons for the de- that the government would say for the delay in introducing it was the fact that they had hoped for an all-island uh, approach. We now know oh. that Northern Ireland won't be doing the same thing until at least uh, 2023 and lots oh. of talk and speculation that we're going to have people crossing the border for cheaper drink. Does that worry you, concern you? Well, look, I think that this is, uh, you know, I think this has been, from the ver- from the very beginning, this has been 
some argument that has been placed to favour the alcohol producers who have been always against and opposed uh, alcohol measures like minimum unit pricing. Um, the reality is that, you know, every year in Ireland there is around 500 million or 460 million of cross-border shopping um, that takes place on the island because we live in an island, there are two different economies, uh, there is a currency differential between North and South, there is VAT, VAT is less in Northern Ireland than it is in Ireland, uh, the cost of living is significantly lower and already as we sit here today, alcohol is around 27 to 30% cheaper in Northern Ireland as it stands. Um, so is that going to change dramatically over the over the course of this period? No, it's not going to change. I think the reality is that the vast majority of cross-border trade is done by people who live, first and foremost, near the border, and they're not going to be moving anytime soon. And they are attracted by the, the cheap availability of food, cosmetics, and clothing. And they're the main drivers in relation to cross-border trade. So will, this, will there be a continuing cross-border trade in alcohol? Yes, there probably will. But that's because the dynamics will continue to be largely the same. Okay, so what would be the lowest price people can expect to pay for alcohol? Well, the lowest price will be determined by the the grams of alcohol that's contained in the product. And I know this is slightly complicated for people, but in any product, pick any product you like, whether it be a bottle of gin or whether it be a can of beer, in those products is a certain amount of alcohol. And that's determined by the volume and the strength of the product. And so typically in a bottle of normal bottle of vodka, uh, there's around 207 grams of alcohol in that product. And so the legislation that was passed in 2018 means that you cannot sell a gram of alcohol for less than 10 cents. So that bottle of vodka has to be sold for 20 euros and 71 cents in the future. You You will not be able to buy any bottle of vodka or gin for less than 20 euros, 70 cents. Not less, of course, depends on the size of the product, but you know, your typical product as it stands today. Um, and a can of beer, um, typically at 4.3% ABV in a 500 litre can, 500 milliliter can, that won't be able to be sold for less than 170. Um, so, you know, just today, if you look at, you know, to give give your listeners some sense of example, because there's been some, you know, much discussion, I suppose, around some of the uh, the major the major products or the major brands that we that we all uh, know and recognise um, today in 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 supermarkets. We know that there's uh, products that are available for around uh, around eleven euros. Um, and so, you know, in the future, they're going to be around 13 euros. Um, a can of, you know, a can of lager, for example, or a can of Heineken, an eight-pack of Heineken at the moment is available for 12.50. So that won't be able to be sold for anything less than 13.60 in the future. Um, a four-pack of Guinness at the moment, you can purchase that for around 7.50 in the market. Um, the minimum unit price of that is six sixty four, so that's actually less than what what you currently what you're paying for that at that. Yeah, and, and a major all, you know. a major effect on younger people, obviously, because prices is really related to how much young people can buy and how much they're yeah, able to drink. Yeah, there's two issues in relation to, and, and and frankly, young people are one of the targets specifically for MUP, and that is because sadly, our young people, that eighteen to twenty four year old group 
are Europe's number one binge drinkers. Um, so we know that young people do have a limited income. Um, so what minimum unit pricing will do is it'll, it'll ensure essentially that young people with a limited income who are engaging in binge drinking, in other words, where they're trying to really maximise the amount of, of alcohol they can consume in a short period of time for the least amount of money, that they're going to be impact, impacted to some degree because they will see that, for example, if three people club together uh, a tenner each and have 30 euros to, to buy two litre flagons of cider, in the current market, they would be able to buy six of those products. But after MUP, they'll only be able to buy three of those products. Mm. Um, and that's, that's the difference. So you yeah. can see there's a, there's a real reduction in the level of alcohol they can consume in that context. Uh, Michael, one of our listeners says the minimum pricing of alcohol will not affect restaurants or pubs. It will only apply to the off-license and the supermarkets. It'll target That's very the, true, yeah. It'll target the cheap, high alcoholic drinks like own brands, which are sold by uh, retailers, which should have been done many, many years ago. Let us not forget that 25% of all non-COVID ICU beds were taken up to deal with alcohol-related issues in this uh, country, says Michael, who's obviously very much welcoming minimum unit pricing. And actually, I saw a consultant from Beaumont Hospital, you know, outlining the human impact of alcohol-related harm. And she sees it on a daily basis. And some of the stories she had were absolutely horrific. I mean, this will this will save some lives by introducing this. People might be happy about paying a little bit extra for their drink, but ultimately it will save lives. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what we need to really focus on here. Like, this measure has been introduced by the Department of Health. It's been introduced because there is a chronic problem with alcohol harm in Ireland. You know, we're losing 2,700 people every year in Ireland in relation to alcohol harm. That's seven people today. That's seven people tomorrow. And if we really want to try and do something about addressing that problem, we really have to address the price issue. And this is what this does. It addresses, as that man outlined in his text, you know, that it really is targeting that really cheap, strong alcohol products that are available in the market today for pocket money prices. Yeah. That, frankly, is killing our people. Yeah, because I saw Stephen Donnelly actually say that some super, some supermarkets are selling alcohol cheaper than you can get a bottle of water, which there's something wrong when that's uh, happening. Yeah, and, and, and that's really true, yeah. OK, absolutely. we leave it there, uh, Ewan. Listen, thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Ewan McKinney joining us from Alcohol Action Ireland. And our lines remain open 1850 333 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. A major project on regenerating Bandon, which has received approval from county councillors and is expected to cost millions of euro, has been hailed as a significant development for the town. To discuss the project, I'm joined by local Fianna Fáil councillor. Sean O'Donovan. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. And it's always great to have a councillor on with a good news uh, story. Can you outline what changes this will mean to the town of Bandon? Um, I can, of course. I suppose I suppose it's taking a lot of the, of the streets um, in Bandon. Uh, Glaston Road, St. Finbar's Place, Oliver Plunkett Street, Brady's Lane, St. Finbar's Place, New Road, Marcus Street, Ballymoden Place, South Main Street, Pure Street, Bridge Street, Bridge Lane, Max Key and Weir Street. They're all the, the streets that are included in this uh, phase one of T-PREP for um, Bandon. Um, I suppose 
Um, the most notable ones are Bridge Street is to become a one-way southbound and Bridge Lane is to become one-way northbound. And then Market Street is to become one-way northbound um, between this junction with St. Patrick's Key and South Main Street as well. There was plans for Maximini Key to go one-way, but um, during the public submissions that has changed and now it's to remain uh, a two-way system. So and the, the one-way, that will increase the flow of traffic through the town? It'll, I suppose it, that's the plan. It'll make it easier for traffic to flow through. And the whole idea, I suppose, is to make the centre of Bandon um, more pedestrian-friendly um, um, and hopefully, like in other towns, it's encouraged businesses to come in and uh, increase footfall and stuff. So that that is the plan for Bandon. Um, like new road surfaces, new footpaths, new street furniture, new planting on the streets, um, uh, new um, electric car charging points. Um, I suppose the big issue with it is um, the removal of some of the parking um, around the main streets of the town. But this has been uh, looked at by the council as well, um, and I'm I'm just hoping that there'll be a solution before the works are finished. Okay, have you have you have you numbers on how many parking spaces will be will be gone because of it? We don't have the exact number, I suppose, Patricia. Um, but the business association did do um, a survey on the town, and they were estimating, I think, about seventy four or five spaces. But now with Max Key remaining two-way, the parking will be remaining on, on Max Key, so it'll be less than that. And is it possible that it will be replaced with off-street parking? Yeah, quite possible, yeah. Um, the, the council are looking at a number of options at the minute, um, kind of very close to the, the town centre for um, off-street parking. Do you feel this is long overdue? I mean, Bandon really, ha- as a town, has suffered greatly. I mean, going back as far as the floods in 2009... Um, it has, I suppose, Patricia. Um, 2009, November 2009 was the big flood in Bandon and several floods after that. But I suppose Bandon has, uh, it's probably the, the town that has the most investment in it um, with the flood relief and the main drainage scheme, which has just finished. And now with the tea prep coming on, like there's multi-millions of, of euros being spent on the town, which is great, but it's, it's, it's so badly wanting just to... I suppose, give it a boost and, and bring business back and, and encourage new businesses to come into the centre of the town again um, and set up, you know. And there's something nice about the idea of, of making it more pedestrianised and getting people into the town and walking around the town. Absolutely, yeah. And like the, the, the seating area at Bridge Lane last summer um, that we put in on a temporary basis, there was a huge success. Like, And if that could be um, um, copied, I suppose, on the other end of town, there is plans for kind of a, a similar kind of an area um, in Ballymoden Place. Um, that would be a huge success. And people can just go out and, I know we don't get the good weather all the time, but um, just sit down and have a coffee. And, and, you know, even if you're working in an office, you can bring your lunch and sit mm-hmm. out. And it's good for mental health as well, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And we know certainly at the moment everything has been encouraged to be outdoors as much as possible. And I think that's going to be with us uh, for quite some time. When do you expect work to begin, Sean? Um, I suppose the, the public submissions have closed and it's been passed by the local municipal district council and the full council last Monday week. So they're at, um, they have to look at costing now and um, put it out the tender. So I'd be hopeful maybe that that work will start before the end of the year on it, you know. Okay. But I suppose it's just going to be a huge transformation for Bandon, like with wider footpaths and all the pedestrian crossings are going to be, put, um, you know, the ones with uh, blister paving and signalised pedestrian crossings and stuff which is very important for um, those visually impaired and blind people and wheelchair users and mothers of buggies and all that it's going to make it a lot easier to 
to get around the town really you know So if you reckon it'll get underway uh, next year then how long before it's completed is, is there a timeline on that? We don't have a timeline but no. um, I suppose like the but once they start, I suppose it, this is phase one, and then phase two will be on the north northern side of the town, like um, North Main Street and Kilbrogan Hill, that area. So um, we just need to get phase one done, I suppose, mm. out of the way, and look at phase two then. Well, certainly, as I said at the top, it's a, a real good news story uh, for the for the town. And is everybody looking forward to the reopening now that restrictions are starting to lift in Bandon? I think once the announcement was made last week, uh, Patricia, there does seem to be. There seems to be an uplift in everyone's step, you know, and yeah. you know everyone is they could see the end of of, of the um, the light at the end of the tunnel, basically, and you know they really you can even see now driving through Bandon now yesterday, the shops have their lights on and they're cleaning their windows and That's they're brushing outside, and there's a bit of excitement there. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to everything opening up, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, Sean, thank you for that. A pleasure as always to talk to you. Uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. You're very welcome. Good thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, local West Cork Fianna Fáil councillor Sean O'Donovan. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of people commenting on the interview that I did in the last hour about minimum unit alcohol pricing, which the governor expected to introduce from the 1st of January next. Uh, Adrian and Mallow said, well, I welcome minimum unit pricing. I wonder for certain families, will that leave their children simply going hungry so that the family members can spend more money on drink? Emer in Formoy says, why is it that a couple like my own, we will suffer. Bottle of wine for myself and my partner may be getting a six pack after a long week's work. We will the ones to suffer. We'll all end up having to pay more for alcohol. And by the way, we don't misuse alcohol. Judy and Skibreen said, I saw this on your Facebook page last night that you were going to be discussing it. And what I was amazed about was some people commenting that they will travel north for their booze. But listening to you and if the price does go up in some cases by a couple of euro, it'll cost an awful lot more to go to the north and then back down again for your six pack uh, you'll waste money in the cost it'll to get you to the north and back I, yeah I think the cross border ones really are going to be the, the counties closest to the border but as Ewan said cross border shopping and it goes on both ways has been going on uh, for, for years and it's yeah I don't think it's going to change in uh, any way uh, thank you for your calls Patricia as long this is John by text as long as there is alcohol to be purchased it will be purchased and then there'll be no money for food that's a fact same goes for drinking and driving putting up prices to me is just a joke it's an essential business selling alcohol well it is according to this government who kept off licences open throughout all of the lockdowns and by WhatsApp Claire says Patricia I drink very rarely and I don't care how much alcohol costs where will the extra money minimum pricing raises go it sounds like yet another tax remember when they banned 10 packs of cigarettes and all you could buy was either a 20 a 30 or a 35 uh, pack that's what people ended up doing for fear of running out people are deluding themselves by thinking increasing the price limits will limit people's consumption all it will do is increase family poverty where more money will be needed for alcohol and less will be available to feed children that's from Claire and someone else says in regards to this minimum unit pricing just another tax on the less well off in society and whose pocket is this extra money going to uh, this government seems to be turning a blind eye to the homeless and letting vulture funds buy up the housing estates uh, not impressed with this government at all okay just on minimum unit pricing it isn't an extra tax it just means that the price 
that the shops, the supermarkets are the off licences buy it in for they can't sell it below a certain amount. So it isn't an extra tax. It isn't that the government are coming in and putting a tax on a bottle of vodka and saying we're going to put an extra three euro on it and therefore you have to sell it for 20 euro. It's the shops themselves because as Michael pointed out in his text earlier when I was speaking with Ewan McKinney, this isn't going to affect restaurants and it isn't going to affect bars. It's only going to affect the off licence trade where these offers go on on drink and where you have some supermarkets almost doing it as lost leaders they'll sell bottles of beer cheaper than a bottle of water they're not buying it in for that but they sell it at that price to get people into the shop so it isn't it isn't extra it isn't a revenue generating exercise on behalf of the government even though some people might feel that that's the way it is but the evidence is there that other countries that introduced it and none of us want to pay more for anything that's, that's just human nature but the evidence is there that the people who really abuse alcohol that's who they're trying to tell and they're also trying to target young people. I mentioned when I was speaking with Ewan that there was a a consultant from the Beacon Hospital in Dublin, a lady by the name of Siobhan McHale, Professor Siobhan McHale. Uh, she was talking yesterday about minimum unit pricing and obviously doctors in the medical profession are very much backing this move on alcohol pricing. But she works at the cold face of it and she was talking about the human impact of alcohol related harm and she sees it on a daily basis. And she gave some examples. She spoke about a mother in her 40s with alcohol related brain damage who didn't recognise her 12 year old child when he came into the hospital to see her because her brain had been so damaged by the amount of alcohol she had consumed. He spoke about him. She spoke about a man in his 30s dying in intensive care unit due to the damage caused by drinking a bottle of vodka and 14 cans of cider and beer a a day. She spoke about a mother breastfeeding a small baby while drinking a bottle of vodka a day and also pointed out that Ireland has the third highest rate of fetal alcohol syndrome in the world. And that is a shocking, shocking uh, statistic. And she said that even during the pandemic, a quarter of Beaumont's non-COVID ICU beds were required for patients with alcohol-related issues. So the evidence is there. We drink too much in this country. And for a cohort of people, if you increase the price, the figure that Ewan McKinney used was it drops by 8% the amount of people who will not be able to buy as much alcohol and uh, by 8% that's the, the less numbers we'll see inside in our hospitals and in our, our intensive care. So whether we like it, we more, as I say, we don't like to pay more but the reality is there there are people need to be uh, protected and do we all have to suffer by paying more for our alcohol? Yes, simply that's the way it is unfortunately. 1850 Now a couple of people are picking up on the story I mentioned out of Longford yesterday this traveller wedding that went ahead in the marquee and something like 200 people turned up in the marquee and the Gardaí in fairness to them and Longford County Council did the best that they could they liaised with the families they liaised with the marquee owners they made several attempts to ask the marquee owner to take down the marquee to ask both families involved in the wedding not to go ahead with it but they they chose to ignore and went ahead with it uh, instead and we know that the the armed Gardaí were drafted in but they were there in a watching brief they didn't they didn't move in but they were there in a a watching brief but a couple of people are making the same point John from Mallow is one of them says why do we pay and train our army to be peacekeepers in extremely dangerous conditions overseas uh, and then use our guardie for situations like Longford why wasn't the army called in and um, 
someone else is making the same point we train our, our army uh, why were they not sent to Longford I know army guys that are well able and they are constantly training in the Ballyhowers but yet they're never called in for situations like this where people like to see the army getting involved and someone else because I was tying it in with what's going on in Donegal and people being asked to ring Letterkenny guard the station for breaches of COVID-19 uh, Texter said we had some trouble in Carrigaline last weekend it was from youths from outside the area we tried to get the Gardaí uh, to come we simply don't have enough Gardaí on the ground to handle these situations again is that something where the army could get involved and hi Patricia I was listening to Senator Eileen Flynn who was on TV giving out about the traveller community being discriminated against and how we had to do more to integrate the travelling community into our society how can anyone condone what I would call is blackguarding that went on in Longford uh, yesterday they appear to be a law unto themselves well let's wait and see what comes out from the suspected suspected breaches of the COVID uh, regulations that's been sent to the DPP so let's wait and see uh, does that end up in uh, court 1850 Hi Patricia, would you please give a shout out and let people know that the much awaited drive-in bingo is starting back up tonight in Theo Park, 8 o'clock sharp and uh, Theo sending in a text saying we're looking forward to seeing everyone back again. Drive-in bingo, enjoy uh, folks. Hi Patricia, why is there a waiting time of three months for the second round of the AstraZeneca vaccine and it's only one month for Moderna and uh, Pfizer? Is this following the instructions on the bottle or is is it a man-made trick? No, it's not a man-made trick. There's actually science behind why the AstraZeneca is held out for three months. And actually, I saw a study from, it's out of South Korea, Forbes are talking about it, or were talking about it yesterday, showing that one single dose of either the AstraZeneca or Pfizer is more than 86 percent effective in preventing infections after two uh, weeks, both the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca. And South Korea, there's been a huge study done in South Korea because they've been using both Pfizer and AstraZeneca and they've come out with amazing results after a two week uh, period. Pfizer vaccine, uh, 89.7% effective in preventing COVID infection two weeks after the first dose. And for the AstraZeneca, it was 86% effective and that was after two weeks. And the South Korean one has come out, has been followed closely by other countries because they've done a big push. They reckon they're going to have herd immunity by November. They're going to have 70% of their population done, vaccinated by September. And they've gone for the one shot, get it into as many people as possible. And South Korea is doing really well when it comes to handling uh, COVID-19. And of course, all studies like this, we look at studies from all of the different countries, but it'll be a vindication for people like the United Kingdom because they prioritise the rollout of the first doses, particularly with the AstraZeneca, getting it into as many people as possible. I mean, the United Kingdom have over half of their population now with at least uh, one uh, dose. So when you get to, I know in this country they say with the AstraZeneca, when you get to a month, 
and then you've got to wait another uh, two months for the second one but they say at that stage your vaccine bonus kicks in you know when we had the government talking about two vaccinated people could meet they could sit indoors together they didn't have to wear masks they didn't have to social distance and it was terrific just as a kind of a vaccine bonus and included in that for the fully vaccinated people were people with AstraZeneca when they were a month after having their first uh, dose but there is a science behind it but one of the big advantages is is to get as many people as possible uh, vaccinated. Stephanie says Hi Patricia just to let you and your listeners know I registered for my vaccine on Tuesday morning when the portal opened for the 59 year olds. Guess what? I've just got a text to say I have an appointment for my vaccine for next Tuesday. Whoa! A week from registering to get it. Well done. Very efficient. I'm thrilled said uh, Stephanie. Well done. Uh, good luck with uh, that. Uh, why are somebody else wants to know? Pat wants to know why are people from outside the county getting vaccinated in Mallow? I know you don't have all the answers. Uh, could you ask your listeners who got the jab if they were told how soon they would get the booster and if it will be AstraZeneca? Thanking you and your team for keeping me safe. Well, if it's an AstraZeneca first jab you got, Pat, it's three months later. 12 weeks later is when you get the second one and yes if you got the first AstraZeneca it is an AstraZeneca that you get for the second one and that's the way it is at the moment now with vaccine supplies could that change but certainly at the moment uh, that's the way uh, it is so you've got a three month wait for the uh, second one. 1850 just quickly looking down through some more of the texts uh, coming in. Pat says Hi Patricia my driving licence is up in June what is happening uh, with that uh, please also by the way I think there should be more vaccination centres this Pat okay if your licence is up in June anyone whose licence expired between the 1st of September 2020 and the 30th of June 2021 and I'm assuming that's you Pat you're sometime in uh, June your driver's licence gets extended by 10 months. So if your driver's licence expires say on the 30th of June 2021 then your new expiry date will be the 30th of April 2022. You don't have to do anything to avail of this extension. Your driver record will be automatically updated and also please note a new driving licence will not be issued to uh, you but your driver record will be automatically updated. So that's anyone who is driver's licence due to expire up to June the 30th of this year, an extra 10 months added on to the end of it. 1850 333 103. C103 Jobs. Gaggins Hill National School, that's in They are recruiting a cleaner, our cleaners. It's for the school year, 25 hours per week. It's afternoon and evening work only. Mechanical pipe fitters, they're wonderful. Cork. While the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland, they're recruiting home care workers for Formoy, Connor and Mitchellstown. And construction workers are wanted for the Black Rock area. Concrete work, kango work and helping the tradespeople. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. You just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now a family that are very well known to us here on the programme have now won the hearts of the nation following the appearance of twin boys Callum and Donica Geary along with their dad Andrew on last Friday's Late Late Show. To see how the family are getting on, Andrew Geary from Ballyhoo uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Andrew. 
Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Are you taken aback by the reaction to the boys and indeed to yourself, particularly the appearance on The Late Late? It's, it's been amazing, Patricia. The outpouring from across the country and much further afield has, has been just very, very humbling. And uh, it's just uh, really shown to us, you know, what great people live, you know, and, you know, your faith and humanity and mine, you know, is is reaffirmed thanks to that, you know, huge outpouring of people's emotions and feelings and, and thoughts has been, you know, has been, you know, it's been really deep. It's gorgeous. It really is gorgeous. And I have to say the ISL translators, there was two on the programme, were incredible. And I thought it was really fantastic when you spoke about sign language is a beautiful language and it really is, isn't it? Oh, listen, there's a, there's a huge depth to it and like what a lot of people may not understand is a lot of the sign language is on the face too, Patricia, and mm. that's, that's where the interpreter comes into their own and that's where it, they, they can, you know, bring the sign language over to English because, as, you know, we made clear, you know, thanks to... Um, the media last week, they're, they're very different languages, and but Romy O'Callaghan and Amanda Coogan both did a, a great job, and that's that's what you need for you to bring one language to another, to make sure that you and I know what a sign language user is saying, that's the standard that must be, and you know, has to be instituted everywhere in, in the country. I also think, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, the Neffet, you know, the, the daily press briefings yeah. from, from Neffet. Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed watching the signers yeah. when, when they're yeah. signing. Uh, and I think that's really helping the deaf great, community, yeah. isn't yeah. it, in great, this country? Yeah. And great credit to Neffet for doing that from early days. And, and even all, you look even at our political leadership when they have uh, generally been performing announcements when there's any impending huge news now, the sign language interpreter is there and that's in, in stark contrast to what was going on in President Trump's America compared with President Biden's. One of the first decisions he made was bringing an, an American sign language interpreter alongside him and putting, making sure that the deaf community was included there. There's a huge campaign on, undergoing in the UK at the moment, where is the interpreter? Because again, you know, our deaf community are our citizens too. And, Absolutely. And they are brilliant. That, like, I, I'm like you, Patricia. I just love watching mm. the interpreters because it helps me improve my sign and gives me new signs and stuff like that. And that whole area of interpreters, that's one of the main areas where the education system is falling down because Callum needs an interpreter in class with him. And I think people would be surprised to hear that he doesn't have one. Yeah, it's it's just it's a huge gap in our system and like that I'm very familiar with the legislation I helped uh, you know write the Irish Sign Language Act in a small way and uh, it's just it's just not there but the words that are used as uh, they're the words that parents of different needs special needs disabled children are well used to this reasonable word and it means nothing and it's the only language in the country you can go into the classroom without a uh, qualification from u- university in. So it's uh, like Helen and I have studied sign language for years and we wouldn't ever denigrate a child by going into a classroom and, you know, trying to interpret a very complex curriculum. And that's it's no fault of the teachers, Patricia. It's just that to become a teacher of the deaf up to now, 
you, you, there is no courses on the island of Ireland for teachers of the deaf. They have to go to the UK, which is a completely different sign language, and they don't learn sign language as part of that course. They get theory of mind and stuff like that about, you know, how deaf children learn, but that's the children, like Callum, that are sign language users need fluency way beyond him. Like, our teachers always have to be beyond us to stimulate us to reach higher up the stairs. Absolutely. And, and that that's just sadly not the case. And because they are twin boys, is it therefore very obvious that Donica is ahead of Callum academically? Oh, yeah, heartbreakingly so. And that, that's what is really hard for us as parents. And I think the whole nation saw that we're blessed and we're very, you know, very, very lucky to have two such bright boys. And like Callum can tell you any story in sign language, yet when he goes to English, his second language, that's not at the same level. And it's just, it's bridge building between languages. You need full fluency in one to go to the other one. And English will always be his second language. And it's hard for Callum too, because he's seen the book Stunnick has picking up. And um, and as, as we said last week, to Ryan Tobley on the radio, like Dunnick is reading, you know, Lord of the Rings and Callum's reading Roald Dahl and that's with immense work on his behalf and my wife Helen's work and, you know, he has some great teachers and I will never fault any of the teachers, Patricia, because they are utter professionals dedicated and they've learned their sign language on their own time. Like, they've gone to classes out of pure professionalism and dedication on their own time. But we wouldn't do that to an Irish, French, German teacher. We did have to qualify before they could walk into the classroom and teach that language. It's just, it's, it's really is, is so unfair. And you have four boys, of course. There's another, another, there was another two boys at home yeah, last Friday yeah. night. But your dreams and aspirations are the same for all four. Oh, yeah. Listen, I think every, every parent, we, we have to ask our children to reach us for the stars. And basically, that's what we want for our four boys. And Callum's just as bright as his three brothers. The only difference is, you know, he's playing catch-up all his life because deaf kids are playing catch-up. It's a little bit different now because they're diagnosed a lot earlier, but you compare a hearing child to a signing child, a hearing child is getting at least 4,000 hours of quality language per year. The signing child, because the parents have never had a deaf child before typically, might get 104 quality hours of language in a year at capacity in the, in the first few years because you're learning a new language and you're trying to play catch-up. And then the child is playing catch-up then again in school. And that's why you need that standard to be at the highest level inside in the classroom. And sadly, that's not the case. And the one thing that really, you know, jumped out of the TV screen is, you know, these, these gorgeous, confident, intelligent little boys. And... And yet there are statistics on deaf children going on to third level education or going on to full time employment and they're dismal. Oh yeah, like Callum's 10 times less likely to go to college than Dunica, four times less likely to get a job and sadly, again, going back to my own job, you know, three times more likely to suffer some form of abuse and that's, and like that, there is the success stories and we have to say that, Patricia, but Success stories are the same in any minority, disenfranchised group. They're the 20%. Yeah. It's the other 80% we need to get through the front door, along with the 20%. There's always people succeed despite the system. And 
generally all of our success stories need to be applauded at the highest level. However, they're 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 not the norm. The norm is the person who's let down by the system and leaves school with the reading ability of an eight or nine year old child. And Callum is what age are the boys now? Twelve. Twelve. 12, 12. Callum is now has an awareness of that and, oh, yeah, and that's yeah. heartbreaking Andrew Yeah well again that bit of pessimism you know with that uh, you know if you want me to tell the story Yeah listening. please do it, yeah. it just yeah. happened a few weeks ago and um, Helen and I were in our sitting room and uh, Callum is such a bright bubbly as you saw on the late late that's his that's the real Callum he's smiling happy you know loves you know, he's a great comedian, a great rogue and stuff like that. And he came into us and Helen and I were in the living room and uh, it was one of those sit down moments and we just didn't get an opportunity to get off our feet, to sit down because that's where we should have been. We nearly fell when he said, listen, mom and dad, I've something to tell you. And um, it just broke our hearts. He turned around and he said, uh, listen, um, I'm never going to have a job. And we were looking at each other and looking at him, where's this coming from? Like, we never heard anything like this before. Or, and next day, uh, we said, why? What's the, where's this all coming from? And um, it's because I'm deaf. And then he ran off. He didn't give us even an opportunity to reply. We're looking at each other as if our world has shattered. And because we are always very positive and, you know, we're always telling him to aim for college and he's hard on himself. He studies hard and stuff. And it's uh, just... One of those moments, and you know, we all have kids, and it's one of those moments when you're, you'll never forget it for the rest of your life where you were standing. And, um, like, we went back to us, Patricia, and we've tried to iron it out. But that just, like, I've been working at this, and you've had me on the radio a few times in the past, and we, you know, went back to just dealing with it, you know, taking on the system in recent years. And that that is just, it's just heartbreaking when your, your son turns around to you. And um, when, like, Helen and I have given our world over to all our kids and um, we love all our kids and we like have thrown ourselves into the deep end of the deaf community and sign language and stuff like that and um, we're fighting every year to try and get better resources for him and every parent in this country knows when your child is different to the norm you're fighting against a you, brick wall yeah, and you fight at every turn you fight yeah. you, you yeah. It's, it's shocking it, it's uh, it really is um, uh, shocking. And if he's twelve, what what where would he go to secondary school? Where yeah, would well, Callum go? Well, he we kept him back one year, and again that that hurt him a little bit. We had to do that because you know just just he needed that just again just to repeat one year to boost the confidence going forward. So he's in fifth class, so he's one more year in St Columbus in Douglas, and um, like that, uh, we, he'll probably you know go to Bishopstown Community School um, again. Like that, he has to have an interpreter going there, Patricia. There's no if, buts, or maybes. It's going to happen in some shape or form. I'm yeah. not sure, like, what what route we're going to have to go down to make that happen. I want it happening because um, you have to full literacy going to secondary school. That's the simple truth of it. And even the brightest kids I know have gone to secondary school uh, that are deaf and have been pushed down the Leavens or the Plaid route. And that's not fair either. You know, that's... There's, like those kids are as entitled to do their full even sort as any other child and if Callum's able he'll be doing that and like that I have no issue what he wants to do in life he has to choose that but I don't want his choices limited by the system if if he makes the choices 
based on his own ability, I'm, I'm happy with that as a father. But if his choices are limited by the system, well, then I have a huge amount of work in front of me. And I know um, better, man. No better man and woman than the two of you, I tell you, yourself and Helen are, are incredible. And then when he goes to secondary school, will will there be other deaf children in the school? Yeah, there is a few deaf kids okay. always go to Bishopstown Community School. But you see, as we as I just said to you before, Patricia Callum is even rare in the deaf world now. There's 5,200 deaf or hard of hearing children in primary and secondary school in Ireland. Callum is only one of 77 who's first in sign la- and primary language is sign language. There would be another cohort of kids who use technology that would also use sign language as an extra link to the curriculum. And then there's the kids that benefit, you know, from, you know, just the same as a hearing child almost bar. They, you know, they, the teachers have to make sure that they have full access through their technology. But Callum is only one of 77 children on the island of Ireland who can learn through other, no other means, but fluent sign language yeah. and and that's, and that's his language. That's, that's his language. Yeah. And it's a simple, it's a simple fix. And it's, it just goes back to, you know, you, Nelson Mandela had a brilliant quote and like, he's a real hero of yours and of mine. And like, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. Yeah. And that, that's Callum. Like he, his eyes, Patricia, when someone makes any effort to sign to him when he leaves our front door, his eyes come alive because he knows now they're communicating with him in his language and he knows that they're paying him the respect that he feels wanted by that person and he feels that that, that community, wherever he is, wherever that takes place, that's like, and that's only small tokens, Patricia. He's and that's, that's he, what I thought about the late, late last Friday, the fact that Ryan directly spoke to... Callum and you could see that you could see his little oh, face yeah, oh, lit yeah, up oh, you know yeah. and and has the publicity and I don't know how much of an awareness Callum has to the pub- publicity but has that given him some kind of uh, even some kind of a lift that he can achieve anything that he wants to achieve oh, yeah. has it beautiful yeah. messages came through when you saw that, that actress Marilyn Matlin is, Fran- is, yeah, is, is royalty and like, yeah. that really gave him a lift and there's, there's been messages from around the world encouraging him but again, a lot of those successes have been achieved despite the system. Those successes, they've had to climb over 20-foot walls to get where they are. Or their families pulled them over the wall. Or they had siblings. Or they had codas, children of deaf adults that were there. That You know, the codas are a brilliant bridge between the deaf world and the hearing world because they grow up sign language is their first language, even though they're hearing. And they, like they're, on, they're as deaf, you know, as their parents are, because sign and they can be a brilliant bridge for for kids like Callum. Like we've tons of deaf friends and coder friends, and and like that, they've been a great source of role models. There's tons of role models there, Patricia. But again, why does Callum have to fight ten times harder than Donnie? He shouldn't Every have to. single step of the way that they they are making, and I have two jobs, Patricia, the same as you. I sometimes have to work eighty, a hundred hours a week. You know, between my own job and other stuff I'm reading, research, writing here, writing there, answering this, and lots of parents have come to contact Helen and I, and, you know, I love that. I will help anyone out in any part of the world if they want some assistance and stuff like that. Like, I got two calls yesterday, and it just, you know, you shared that information freely. But, again, like, we have UNCRPD, Section 24 is education. We have the Irish Sign Language Act, 
that was fully commenced by the president and still we're having to beg to get my child an education. I have to get down on all fours. I had to give the whole nation my soul last Monday and that was hard, Patricia, I can tell you. You know, giving that out and Ryan Tuberty is an absolutely gentleman, a great host and, you know, that was a lot of pain. You know, I'm glad it's done but again, why should why, you have why, to why do does it? the father have to go down on yeah. all fours? And like, I, I love this country, Patricia, and I really do, you know, and like, it hurts me so much. And I still believe in our democracy. I really do. I do believe there's brilliant people above and our of I think there's decent, ordinary people that you and I can sit down and talk with any one of them. But there's a system failure there and there's people, faceless people, who basically, and I'd go back to Charles Stuart Parnell, a great hero of mine, and I would say to any of those faceless people who were part of the system pressing the pause button on Callum's education, no man has the right to fix the boundary to the march of a nation. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people in this country who have had their lives paused, their citizens, their children. We've asked our heroes of 1916, asked us, to cherish all of the, the nation equally. And that's still a dream. How, like, we're now we're 105 years on from that and we're still dreaming. And, like, we're so, like, I can't understand. Like, I, I, I go out there every day and I, I dedicate myself to our democracy. You do that. And our listeners go out there and they, they, they give 100%. And, like, this, the country is, is being carried by advocates, carers, parents, charities, volunteers, the community. The, the, the Mwinterish, as one friend of mine said, it's all of us in one together, but no one's listening to us. And Callum said it brilliantly on the late late. I'm so proud of my boys. I just love them to bits. And Callum said, hearing people can hear, but they're not listening to the deaf world. Yeah, that's it. And Donica said, it's only a language. Listen, you're you're incredible and we wish you and the family nothing uh, but luck uh, going forward. I can see texts coming in somebody, everyone in Bally Desmond wants to wish uh, Callum Thank and you. all the family the very best. And here's a lovely one from Mary to say, Patricia, I saw Callum, his brother Donnick and their dad on the late, late. Uh, both boys are so articulate and both made their point so well. In fact, they could have done the interview without they dad could. even they being could. present. They were, joy, they were a joy to watch. Be can be very proud, ma'am and uh, dad and that's just from one I, I of just, our like listeners again, I just want to say that Helen is the hero of this piece Patricia like Helen is, is brilliant at sign language you sh- like Helen can sign with anyone on this island now and you know it's just and it just that's the one thing that at least we know Callum feels wanted and loved inside our home we just want as I said I just want the system the people behind the doors that are locked open the door Callum will give so much back to this country. All my kids love their country and he will give so much back. Just give but him anything the he's given, he will give that back in spades because he's a giver. Yeah, just give him the chance. Listen, Andrew, an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you. Uh, best wishes to, to Helen and to all the boys. And uh, thanks a million. It's a real Thank pleasure you. talking to you today.
Thank God you bless. Much. You bye mind bye. yourself. Bye bye. He's a great guy. That is uh, Andrew Geary from uh, Ballyhooley and somebody remembering it was was Andrew, one of the guards. He was. He used to do uh, the crime file on this uh, programme uh, a number of years ago. Yeah, uh, that's the one and the same as Sergeant Andrew uh, Geary. Great, great guy. And as with a lot of parents of special needs children having to fight at every corner and it is just not fair. It is. And having watched Callum and Donica on the Late Late Show, as that listener says, both of them, Mary saying both so articulate and so so confident and yet one why should one's education be better than the others just because one uh, has a hearing loss it's just it's, it's wrong it is simply uh, wrong you can text or whatsapp the programme to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie uh, lots of people just want to say well done to uh, Andrew Geary and uh, what an incredible gentleman summed up by just one simple text to say what a man what an advocate and well done for him for saying only for volunteers this country would grind to a halt yeah he is so so right he's incredible and they're just such a beautiful beautiful family and just fighting so hard on behalf of Callum so that Callum can have the very same life that his twin brother Donica. Uh, can have and it's just so unfair that he shouldn't get the same level of education and then let the world open up and let him decide what he wants uh, to be but he's they're gorgeous gorgeous boys there's two older boys there as well and as Andrew's always a pains to, uh, to point out the rock behind them all is uh, Helen the wife and uh, mother she's an incredible woman as well so we wish them nothing nothing but love and luck uh, going forward now a listener wants to know is there any collection place locally taking clothes etc for charity shops thanking you that's coming by text message and I don't know when you say locally I don't know where you are I don't know if you're North Cork West Cork East Cork or if you're texting us in the city but all I'll say is charity shops are due to reopen some I think are doing click and collect from next uh, Monday but certainly from the following Monday the 17th of May when all non-essential retail opens all of the charity shops uh, will be open so if you have clothes I would always I always advocate on behalf of dropping them into a local charity a shop for a distribution because oh, I've just have this thing about it the money will stay locally then it'll benefit local people so if you have clothes I would say hold off because the charity shop certainly will be reopening Monday week if they may even check locally they may be looking for donations from next week and they'll be only too glad to get donations of any clothes that you may have. Our phone lines are open at 1850 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. In particular it's Thursday looking for your pet questions please. Want some of the animals in your house unwell get them into us because Jane Pickett our resident vet will join us and also a member of Garda Corner will join us in the next hour for this week's Crime File. Court today on C- C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your WhatsApps. Uh, Nora in Mallow says, Hi Patricia, I was studying the cheese shelf in Aldi last night and I came across cheese that is made in Newmarket, County Cork. I thought, how lovely. So I decided I'd buy it in order to support a local uh, company. And I've attached photographs of the cheese that I purchased. Well, I can tell you it's only delicious. I didn't know that they were selling locally produced cheeses. So just to let your other listeners know, thanking you, says Nora in Mallow. And she sends on photographs. It's an Irish hand-cut vintage white cheddar and they also do an Irish hand-cut vintage red cheddar. It is 18 months matured and I've had it before and it is. I agree with your statement. Nora, it is delicious. I'm a big fan of cheese but I'm particularly a big fan of vintage cheddar. There's nothing like the taste of it. So yeah, it's terrific and I think a lot of the, both of the German retailers are really good about, about promoting and buying Irish products. If you look around and start, you'll be surprised when you start reading the labels very carefully. And you are right, it is, is always good to try to support Irish and to support local. I think when they first came to this country, the Aldis and the Littles, it was all stuff that we didn't know any of it. There was no, nothing. But I think they quickly realised that if they wanted to get a foot into the market, then they were going to have to buy Irish produced goods and also even better try and try and get locally produced goods uh, as well so thank you for that and actually just staying on the German retailers it's like ads for the German retailers today Um, there's a number of people have pointed this out to us I think it was on the news as well this morning this has gone up on Little Ireland they put it up they tweeted about it uh, this morning uh, to say that from tomorrow they will be selling antigen tests across all of the 168 little stores in Ireland. There's a maximum limit of five packs per customers. They will be twenty four ninety nine per pack, so twenty five euro and each pack contains five test kits. So the test kit so each antigen test will work out at a five or a, a pop. But they're limiting it. Obviously, they don't want businesses coming in and buying up all the packs. They want them to go to the general public. So if you're interested and you want to get antigen an antigen test there, you can go into your little 
tomorrow and pick them up. I wonder how quickly they will sell out, but they're on sale from tomorrow, from the 7th of uh, May. A number of people sending me that on, including Michael. Thank you, Michael. And Michael is also on about driving tests and says, he heard me mention one of our listeners' past driving tests is up, uh, driving licence is up at the end of June and wondering what, what's, what's he to do. But as we know, the RSA have uh, given another extension for, extension period for driving licence. Anyone who's driving driver's licence expired between the 1st of September last year 2020 and the 30th of June this year. Your driving licence gets extended by 10 months. You don't need to do anything to avail of it to the extension as your driver record will be automatically updated although they're not issuing you won't get a new driver's licence you'll be driving around it'll look like your driver's licence is out of date but there's an extra 10 months on to it. They did something similar last year between June and August of last year when we were in lockdowns they put an extra I think it was 13 months did they put on they extended the dates last month as well anyway Michael is picking up on that and said interesting to hear that the driver's licence has been extended by just 12 months why didn't they extend it by a year Michael I thought the same thing myself is there a surprise in store at the end of the 10 months when you go to renew your 3 or your 10 year licence that your date will commence 10 months earlier than you anticipated you know there's no such thing as a free dinner in this country just food for thought thank you Michael yeah, there's no indication as to what they are going to do but it is strange a 10 month extension did seem strange I'd have to agree with you on that hope you're keeping well Michael Hi Patricia random question for you I love the old random questions when restrictions are lifted from the 10th of May next Monday and people can travel county to county can people travel from the north to the from the south to the north I would say yes from next Monday we're allowed to travel into county so we can go anywhere there'll be nobody stopping you as you go over the county bounds to say where are you going so yes I imagine we've always had free movement between north and south so yes I could see no reason why you can't travel uh, north and North, uh, North, Northern Ireland—they're doing so well with the vaccines, and so much is opening up in the North. I can see the I can see there being a big boost to tourism this summer in Northern Ireland because I think people are going to feel safe going to the north because they're doing so well with the vaccination and if you watch you know every day on the news when they give out the figures when at one stage the figures for Northern Ireland were absolutely shocking and I have family living in Derry and some of them are elderly and I was really worried about them because some of the figures they were just they were truly uh, frightening and then they started bringing down their figures as kind of our figures started to go up but certainly vaccinations are playing a blinder in Northern Ireland when you look at how many cases they have every day and also their deaths have have plummeted because of the vaccination. So one wonders, will they get a bounce from tourism this year? And I don't know when the listener says a random question, is that what the listener is thinking of maybe holidaying in Northern Ireland? Because when I mentioned Donegal and everything that's going on in Donegal, and you can't help but feel sorry for the good people of Donegal, the vast majority who are trying to do their best. And of course, it's the small cohort that are ruining it for everybody else. But because the figures are so high now in Donegal, highest, two of the electoral areas are the highest anywhere in the country. I did see a local pharmacist in Rathfoe uh, saying that there was a fear that the current, because there's so much focus gone on the county of Donegal, that it's going to have a negative impact just as the tourist industry is beginning to open. It's a 
Margaret Doherty, a RAFO pharmacist. She said there are people who are depending on their business during the summer months. Uh, she said they won't survive if they don't get visitors and it's important that Donegal is seen to be a safe place to visit. A lot of people have made huge sacrifices and it's disheartening when the actions of a few result in what we're seeing at the moment. And yeah, your heart would go out to uh, people in the tourism trade. And I'm sure there, those conversations, I know I had a, a conversation similarly with someone when we, we were talking about staycationing and where would people go and that comment was made, well, Donegal would be the last place I'd be going at the moment. So hopefully they can get those figures down and that more people then may be encouraged to have their holidays there. Hi, Patricia, on vaccinations. My husband got his vaccine in Mallow today. All went very well. Thank God he even got his badge. <laughs> I saw those and I don't know if every vaccination centre, I'm assuming every vaccination centre is giving them out, but I actually saw people on social media from Mallow during the week and it's this badge it's this blue badge that says I got my COVID-19 vaccine and the HSE logos on it as a tick at the top and they're handing them out so I don't know if many people are going to go around wearing those but it's like it's a bit of pride isn't it look I've got my badge it's it's, it's fantastic so uh, well done uh, Mary thank you for that staying on vaccines Patricia myself and my husband registered for a vaccine two weeks ago today and we haven't got an appointment yet I rang them last Friday and we're definitely on the system kind regards says Michael and actually somebody else was on to me and I thought this was interesting to say this is a 64 year old to say hi I'm 64 I registered two weeks ago when the portal opened for the 64 year olds I rang the HSE because I haven't heard anything they've told me to ring back in a week if I don't hear from them so three weeks from registration if you haven't heard I don't I'm slow to say, tell everybody, oh, ring the HSC and see what's going on because you're going to have to ring the 1850, 24, 1850. And obviously that's the number that's been used for people at the moment in their 50s and in their 60s who can't register online or are registering over the phone. But that's the only number that you can ring. So maybe if people are waiting three weeks or more, maybe they need to start ringing the HSC just to find out because somebody earlier said that they rang and it got flagged on the system. Somebody was worried about a 69-year-old who hadn't been vaccinated and that person had registered well over three weeks ago and they flagged it on the system. So maybe if you are, but I would wait. I wouldn't be ringing until you know for sure that you have registered three weeks ago and if you haven't heard anything, then maybe put a call through to the HSE because when you do register, you do get an email back saying that you will hear within the next three weeks and then I think it's a three days notice they give you of when your vaccination date and there is an option now on the text message to change it. You know, we had people who were contacting us saying, what if I get a vaccination time and it's the same time as an appointment or what if I get a vaccination date and I'm at work and I'm not going to be able to get the time off. There is, there's, you can click on the text message to change the date and the time so you will be able to do that as well. So maybe the three week mark if you haven't heard. So you need to make a note of when you actually did register and just keep an eye uh, on it. Thank you for the people though contacting us. 1850 Also coming into us, Mary says, Patricia, did me old Martin mention that there could be foreign travel from July for vaccinated people? We can't even get a driver theory test or a driving test. Have they gone crazy telling us we will be able to get involved in foreign travel? Well, the foreign travel bit 
more than from our government because our government have, has kind of really from the start certainly of this year been saying staycation is the order of the day and holiday at home but I think the push for foreign travel it is coming from a cohort of people there certainly are a lot of people in this country who are desperate to get out in a bit of sun on their bones and want to go on foreign holidays like we have people who've got holiday homes abroad and want to go and spend time in their holiday home we've got people who want to go overseas to visit family how many have family member members living say in the United Kingdom and they have haven't seen them. We've had some people contact us that they haven't seen family members since 2019 and they wanted to fly. So there's a lot of reasons why people uh, want to try, want to fly. But I think the foreign travel one is really coming from within the EU because there's so many countries in the EU, you know, ones that straight away come to mind would be Spain, France, Italy, for example, who really rely on the tourism industry for their economies. And they had a lost summer last year and they don't want a lost summer this year so I think a big push for foreign travel is certainly coming from the EU rather than from our own Irish government but obviously if the EU do this special green COVID pass that they're talking about that will allow people who have been vaccinated or who have recovered from COVID-19 you'll be able to get a special I imagine it's going to be on your mobile phone that you will be able to travel then yes I think foreign travel will but I don't think it's directly coming from uh, the Irish uh, government still getting texts in thank you for your text still getting texts in about alcohol prices and, and alcohol going up with minimum unit pricing Pat- Patricia re-alcohol going up what do these people think when they come up with such ideas is this will affect everyone the answer is always in this country seems to be should just put the price up that doesn't work what do you think will happen when people can't afford the new prices I'm fearful the crime would rise then what are we going to do with that but you see when they introduced minimum union pricing in other uh, countries there wasn't an increase in crime but what there was was people who were addicted to alcohol they saw a drop in the number of people ending up in hospital or ending up very unwell so they're basing it again on the science and a listener from Mallow says to that listener who says they they want drinks and prices to go up. I'm, I'm assuming it was you and McKinney, our interview with Alcohol Action Ireland. Well, that person must have a lot of money and must be living on massive wages. Uh, what about all the drugs that are on the street on every town and village in this country? Dr- drugs are a scourge on every part of society and yet we always seem to blame alcohol in this country. While Jerry in Mallow says, thank God, cheap drink is on the way out not before time if I had my way says Jerry in Mallow I'd actually close down all of the off licence some of your calls uh, into 1850 get your pet questions in please or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic see corkcoco.ie this week's books for Kildallery Home Bingo are now on sale from the usual outlets. This week's snowball prize is €100. Euro. And don't forget their drive-in bingo returns on Friday week, 14th of May, 8 o'clock in the Creamery Car Park. Bohobui National School, they're holding a fundraising raffle, offering you the chance to win a dream home in Killarney with €35,000 Euro in monthly prizes. Also, the first draw 
for €10,000 takes place on Friday the 25th of June and then there'll be monthly prizes of €5,000 for July through to November. The draw for the grand prize where the house will be given away in Killarney will take place on New Year's Eve of this year. Tickets cost €100 and you can buy them online at www.winyourdreamhousekillarney.com or by contacting the school on 029761 or you can email office at uh, s.ie. They're also available at Boerbury Post Office by early to be in in time for the first draw. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. I mentioned charity shops earlier and the fact that charity shops are reopening on the 17th of May with some of them doing click and collect next week. This is for people who have clothes that they want to recycle and I was saying try and give them give them as locally as you can if there's a local charity shop check in with the local charity shop well that's prompted Diane uh, to contact me to say I'm working in St Vincent de Paul's shop in Skibbereen we are getting our brand new shop ready for opening on the 17th of May we'll have click and collect from the shop next week it's a new shop so it's very exciting and it's in the centre of Skibbereen uh, town I heard you Patricia talking about donations for charity shops and I'm actually in the shop as I type preparing I've actually put a small bin out in the porch for anybody who wants to drop off donations clothes for resale or recycling newish books please break a brack but no electrical no broken items please as they're costly to dispose of they also have a clothes bank in Skibreen Recycling Centre if anybody wants to donate their used clothing there and that's on behalf of the Vincent de Paul shop in Skibreen good to hear from you Diane and good luck with the opening of your brand new uh, shop on Monday week now from Skibreen let me go to Bantry because I'm going to Bantry Garda Station where Garda Don Davis joins us uh, for this week's uh, crime file. Uh, good morning to you, Dom. Good morning, Patricia. Um, great to hear you. Oh, uh, great to hear you too. Okay, we've got uh, just a couple of items on the crime file, starting with uh, the theft of a dog. And uh, this is a big dog. It's a St. Bernard. Uh, again, I suppose, Patricia, we were constantly bringing up the theft of dogs. But yeah, a St. Bernard dog that went missing on the 28th of April from Lissarda. Now, again, I suppose... Unusually, this was taken during the afternoon, sometime between 1pm and 2.15pm. So quite a tight window there where this opportunist took the dog. So a St. Bernard dog, which are not small dogs, and the dog was microchipped. So look again, on the off chance someone saw someone trying to put a a, a St. Bernard dog into a car or a van or trying to walk a dog away or whatever, sometime between 1pm and 2.15pm on the 28th of April. Okay, that was just last uh, week. Uh, And then there was criminal damage to an excavator digger. This was in Skibbereen. In Skibbereen, again, the night of the 28th of April. uh, Unusual timing here. It was between 1am and 8.30am the following morning. Now, they're quite sure about those times because they were actually working on the machines before and after. So it's in the townland of Drumick in Skibbereen. Now, this is a very rural townland. So certainly any strange car or any strange person or van would be known or unusual in the area. So hopefully someone may have seen something coming or going. And if they do, would they please contact the Gardaí at Clannacilty? And the Gardaí at Clannacilty can be contacted at 023-88-21570. And staying with criminal damage, but this was on a vacant uh, building in Bandon. Vacant building abandoned on the after evening of the 29th. Now, people will know this building. It's disused Millbrook Hospital, just across from the J grounds there in Bandon. 
So some people entered that uh, disused building around 7pm and set fire to downstairs rooms there. So luckily the fire brigade were on scene quite soon and very little damage was caused. But at the same time, 7pm, bright afternoon, bright evening, hopefully someone may have seen somebody around that area. So the 29th of April and the Gardaí at Bannon would love to hear from them if anyone saw anything. Okay, we want to give some advice to people because unfortunately there's still an amount of scams uh, doing the rounds. But there is one from the, what purports to be from the Department of Social Protection. Again, Patricia, these are just ongoing. They keep changing the the dynamics of these frauds, but they're going to keep going because, you know, I suppose people unfortunately are getting caught by these fraudsters. So it's important. The basic, I suppose, advice is the same regardless of any of these um, fraudsters or any of these phone calls. So these are unfortunately the ones that are doing the rounds in the last week or two in West Cork. So I suppose the advice is quite simple for people if they can just, you know, adhere to them, it certainly would deter a lot of these fraudsters. So I'll just go very slowly through them, Patricia. Okay. okay. Please do. So the first one would be just do not engage or return any calls to these people. So, I mean, if someone rings you up and you're not happy with who they are, do not engage with them and do not call them back, okay? Okay. Secondly, hang up immediately and most importantly, do not share any personal information with them. They might be looking for your name or maybe your family name or your your, your mother's maiden name. They're fishing at all the times for information which they require to, to perpetrate their frauds. So three, most importantly, and I suppose we cannot emphasize this enough, do not give out any of the following information over the phone. Your PPS number, your bank account numbers, any PIN numbers for any of your accounts, or any other personal data that they may request. Do not give those uh, that information to absolutely anybody. No legitimate cause is going to seek that information. From yeah, anybody. nobody Other from cause. either the bank or the Department of Social Protection would ask you for any of that information because if you're dealing with them, they should have that inf- information if they were calling you about something. So none of them will ask you for that information. 100% Patricia. So look, that's the most important piece there. Just do not give out any of that information to absolutely anybody. And I, I suppose the last one, it, it causes a lot of, I suppose, issues for people where someone will ring you up and purport to report to you that you're having problems with your computer, that you're having problems with your phone. Do you mind if we monitor either your phone or, or your computer for you? Do not give anybody permission to monitor your phone or your computers at any time. Because once they're in your computer, once they're in your phones, they didn't have access to all your personal information on that device. Okay, if you get one of these calls, uh, what's the advice, Don? The advice is quite simple. If you know in your heart and soul that something isn't quite right there, hang up the phone immediately and report it to your local guard station. Do not engage. Yeah, and some of them, because I know we've even had a few this week, some of our listeners are great. They, they, we are all acting like detectives. I think people are so aware of these scams. Many people are aware of these scams now, so they're always trying to highlight them so we can pass them on to other listeners. Some of them will look like it's a genuine, say, local number. There was one during the week now, it looked like it was coming from Mallow. It looked like it was coming from 022. But when you looked at it, there was actually an extra digit in it. And then there was another one another day where it was an 083 number and it looked, looked like a normal three number. So whenever a number comes up on your phone that you don't know that isn't in your contact, alarm bells really have to ring straight away. Isn't, isn't that the case? I think so, Patricia. I think, look, we, we, we all have to err on the side of caution in relation to these because, like, these people aren't continually sending out or making these phone calls unless they're quite successful. They're constantly fishing 
or unfortunately victims. So if you have any doubt whatsoever, we, we really have to be very careful, you know. Okay, all right. And I don't know if you can answer this or not, but it was Sergeant John Kelly was on with us last week and the listener says, Hi Patricia, uh, the guard that was on the programme last week spoke about a box that you can put your keys into, your car keys into, to safeguard them from access and people cloning them. What is the name of it and where can they be purchased? Patricia, quite honestly, I don't have that answer for okay. you. But what, what I will do is get that answer for you, and I will forward it on. To okay, Paul. I think I think it was the the we were talking about cars being stolen, and uh, somebody breaking into a house to get car keys or to fish for car keys or fishing through the letterbox getting car keys out. And John, um, Sergeant John Kelly was talking about some box that you could put it into, and you close the box, and then if somebody can't clone the car key if I remember rightly was something like that okay anyway you can check it out and get back to us that would be great All right, listen in the meantime uh, Don thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme thank you very much good morning to you that is or good afternoon as it is it's gone past uh, 12 Uh, we were late we're getting to um, Don today we had to go after 12 instead of before 12 but that is Garda Don Davis joining us from Bantry uh, Garda Station and then there was a listener on early to us this morning with uh, a text now I didn't see this television programme but uh, listener said Patricia I was so sad to watch a programme on RTE1 on uh, Tuesday night it dealt with the issue of corporal punishment in schools for many years ago when I went to my local convent school in the 1950s almost all the nuns treated us terribly we got such beatings it still makes me sad to think about it thank God teachers today are so uh, nice and that is uh, signed B um, isn't it dreadful the effect that you know something that happened many back in the 50s like many many over 50 years ago now and it can still have an effect on people today it, it really is shocking but they were very different times and of course corporal punishment unfortunately was allowed and thank God that it is no longer allowed and you are right teachers today are a much nicer breed of people and that's not to say that there wasn't lovely teachers back in the 50s and 60s and 70s as well uh, there was but unfortunately it was corporal punishment was certainly the issue in this country so thank God that that is uh, no longer allowed. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Let's take a break and we are back with Jane Pickett, our resident vet. If you've got a pet question, can you get it into us now, please, either by phone to John Paul or you can text our WhatsApp. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We're going to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. We're joined by our resident vet, that is Jane Pickett. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome uh, to the programme. And I want to start with um, our first question today that that really is a heartbreaking uh, question. It's from one of our listeners whose granny sadly passed away last month and she has decided to rehome granny's dog. The dog had been living with her grandmother for the last three years and they had a great bond. The dog has now moved into our listener's house. But she describes the dog now as being very nervous. It was never nervous when living at granny's house. And he seems to spend a lot of the time just sitting at staring at the back door uh, what what can she do to help the dog settle in okay no this is a really difficult situation and my condolences it's, it's a really tough time for everyone i am um, i think this is this probably has a few factors involved in it i think for the little dog certainly he's lost he's lost his owner um so there's an element of grief there i think similar to when a dog loses a dog companion if they lose one of their owners they grieve in the same way so they generally become quite 
quite quiet, sometimes a bit withdrawn, sometimes it can go the other way. They can become, let's say, um, hyperactive and destructive um, as kind of a distraction behavior. It sounds like we're becoming quite quite quiet and just staring at the back door is how it's manifesting for this little pet. Um, but the other thing is it's had a massive upheaval. Not only has it lost its lovely owner, it's moved house. So it's moved away from kind of all of its security that it's ever known. So it's, it's quite understandable in, in this difficult situation that this little pet is, is really all out of sorts and doesn't know what's happening at all. Um, I think well done for taking him in. I think it's just going to take a lot of patience. I know you're really concerned about him and I, we'd, we'd love to see him bright and happy in his usual self and not being so nervous. But I think it's really going to take time it's going to take time for him to form a bond with you guys um, after grieving for his own owner. So just be there for him, comfort him, but give him his own space as well as necessary. Try not to be all over him because if, if you're kind of not his his usual source of comfort, sometimes that can stress him out even more. So just kind of be there, but not too overwhelmingly so. Yeah, um, and it's yeah. it's hard, yeah. you know. When I when when she said in the text uh, that he sits there just staring at the back door, I got it into my head. Is he hoping the granny's going to walk back in? Is that was could that be it? Potentially. Oh, yeah, potentially God, break your heart. So, yeah, I think really time is the is the best healer here, and patience on your own part. I know it's heartbreaking for everybody involved, both from the the passing passing of this person but also from the grief of the the dog and yourselves but um stick with it i think time and and just a lot of patience okay he will settle in he will settle in and our condolences uh, to you and uh, to to your family it's it's a tough time and then jane in mallow rang in to say one of her cats she describes the cat as being very hyper she also says he doesn't look in as good a condition as say her other cats he's actually very thin but he's always hyper always on the go she's wondering can cats have hyperthorism like humans do? They can indeed. Exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Um, So they can, absolutely. Um, It's really quite common, particularly in our middle age to older cats. So the key symptoms really of hyperthyroidism, so an overactive thyroid, are a weight loss in the face of a great appetite, usually a totally voracious appetite. They'll eat everything in sight, but are still losing weight and sometimes becoming hyperactive, very agitated and, and sometimes a little bit aggressive at times, actually, because they're just so wound up. Um, they will be main things. Now, there's lots of other causes of weight loss. There's lots of other causes of behavioral change. But really, from what you're describing, you know, hyperthyroidism or an overactive thyroid will be really up there on my on my list of differentials. I think if you're concerned, particularly from the point of view of the weight loss and the behavioral change, this is definitely one I would attend your vet with. Your vet may need to examine the cat and that will certainly give them a much better idea. And if they strongly suspect, let's say, something like hyperthyroidism, they may need to do tests on the thyroid, so blood tests that can tell us whether there's too much thyroid hormone in the system. But it's also important to bear in mind that there are lots of other things that can cause these clinical signs and your vet may well need to work with you to to rule them out. So to rule out the causes of weight loss, to rule out the causes of behavioral change. Um, So I think this is well spotted and it's always good to get these things early because lots of things that can cause weight loss and behavioral change are treatable depending on the diagnosis. So I would visit your vet, tell them your concerns um, and I'm sure you'll start getting on the path to diagnosis and it is it's tre- it's treatable if it is if if that's okay. what what it yeah. is and then barbara uh, barbara's cat had three kittens yesterday this morning one of them has passed away why would a little kitten just uh, just start like that there were three they appear to be three fine healthy kittens when they were delivered yesterday okay that's really sad i know it must be quite distressing for everybody there at home to see that happen 
it's not particularly uncommon, particularly in, let's say, the first few days of life, particularly if there was a large litter. It doesn't sound like a large, let's say, um, amount of kittens, but sometimes, let's say, the weaker one may not be strong enough to feed or may pass away. Um, it's really fascinating, actually, sometimes the, the kind of mother's instinct, be it, a, be it um, a cat, a mother, a queen, or whether it be a female dog who's whelping, a lot of the time they can kind of tell if there's something wrong, even before we can, and they may start to, to reject the kitten or pup. Um, and I suppose that's kind of the circle of life. It's trying to ensure that the strongest young survive. Now, whether that's been the case or not, it may just be that there may have been something, let's say, congenitally or inherited born wrong with the kitten that has passed away so soon, particularly if the others are really strong and thriving. Um, I would say, you know, don't beat yourself up too much about it. These killings can happen. It's really sad when it does, obviously. But I think just focus on the kittens that are remaining. Just make sure that they're feeding well from the mum. They're nice and warm. They're in a nice, safe place. Um, and, and just watch out for any other signs of kind of fading or being unwell in, in the other kittens. Then if you do notice that, the best thing with any young young kitten or pup is to catch it early and bring them to your vet because a lot of the time they don't have any reserve really. So things can things can take them very quickly if, if things do go wrong. Okay, Martin has an 11-month-old uh, puppy who is constantly playing with stones, uh, picking up stones when they go out for a walk. Martin has now started to notice that he's swallowing some of the stones. Should he be concerned? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In short, um, the best thing, this is really frustrating, I know, from an owner's point of view, because your heart is just in your mouth. You don't want them to eat the stone and swallow it. And obviously those stones, if they can cause a lot of damage on their way down if they're sharp stones. They can also cause really serious blockages and you may need surgery to remove them if they don't pass. Now, a lot of stones will just pass straight through, but a lot won't as well. I think the best thing to do is to give them something to distract them so if he's the kind of dog who will go out and pick up all these stones and get really excited bring a ball with you on your walk um, and try and distract him with that so that he has something to hold in his mouth so bring let's say um, a dog safe tennis ball or some other dog safe chew treat that's quite robust and he can't chew up and swallow um, and have that in your back pocket to give him if he starts getting interested in stones so you can give that to carry it to carry around in the mouth because sometimes they just want the feeling of picking and retrieving something and moving it on with them they seem to be fixated on stones sometimes some dogs it's stones some dogs it sticks either are very very bad ideas so that would be my advice on both fronts if it Similarly, if it's sticks that your dog collects when they're on a walk, give them something to distract, give them a safe toy. Okay, and Lorraine has an overweight Jack Russell. We know he's overweight and we're doing our best as a family to try to knock a few pounds off him with extra walks and watching his diet. The problem was he was he's used to getting lots of daily treats from other members of the household. Everyone is abiding by it, but now he looks so miserable at you when he's looking for a treat. Are there any low calorie treats that you can give to a small dog trying to lose weight? Okay, um, I say first and foremost, well done for recognising your dog is overweight. That's usually the first step is the hardest. Uh, most of us, our perception is so changed about what's a normal weight dog and what's an overweight dog that we've been kind of pre-programmed into thinking overweight looks normal. So really, really well done for recognising that. Um, I know it can be really tough because you're kind of being cruel to be kind and making sure their health is, is good in the long term by trying to reduce their weight. And that's really, really, really important. Um, as regards treats, if they're always used to getting them, one thing you can do is if they have kind of an allotted amount of food. So if you're working with your vet or vet nurse and they have kind of a weight loss program in place, 
then great. If you don't, that might be worth looking into. But a lot of the time we'd weigh out their food so they're quite exact about what they're getting every day. So one thing you can do is if they have their, their breakfast or their dinner and they have a certain weight of food that they're allowed to eat out of nuts, you could maybe take, let's say, a quarter of that and make that into the treat pile so that throughout the day when they want a little snack, you know, you can you can use a little bit of their normal food as a treat and they'll still feel like they're getting something still positive reinforcement. Um, that's one thing you can do. Other things you can do are you can use kind of low calorie, kind of empty, empty treats in a way. Um, this is a bit hit or miss with some dogs um, and you just need to be a little bit careful with um, the sizes that you cut them into. So sometimes you can give certain vegetables, but be exceptionally careful about which ones. Some are poisonous, some are fine. Not all vegetables are good for dogs and cats. That's one thing to be aware of. But some things that we normally advise are carrots in small amounts, raw carrots in very small amounts, but just chop them quite small so that they can be eaten and won't get stuck within the food pipe. Um, and interestingly enough, watermelon. They seem to love it and it has no calories in it really Whoa, that's a, good one. a normal treat. Yeah, it is. And you, you always feel very exotic chopping up the watermelon yeah. for the dog. Well done, well done. <laughs> so good they're, suggestions. They're, they're two fun ones. Well yeah. done, well done. When can uh, pups go on to normal dog food? They're seven weeks old at the moment, thanking you, says a listener. Okay, so I'm going to assume that they're having a kind of a complete puppy nut, a complete puppy diet. Normally, I would recommend that they stay on that until about 10, 12 months of age, which is much longer than people normally think they need to stay on a puppy diet. You have to remember that most dogs are not fully mature for, let's say, a small breed dog until they're kind of 10, 12 months of age. And for a larger breed dog, even well beyond that, up to a year, a year and a half. So it's really important to keep feeding them an appropriate puppy food and speak to your vet or local vet nurse if you have any questions about that, because the balance of let's say, vitamins and minerals and energy that we need when we're growing in order to lay down a good, strong skeleton, good, strong muscles and bone is quite different to what it takes as adult maintenance. So it's really important to provide that good quality diet. And the one thing I'd say is as well, if, you know, in the first year to two of life, that is the time to invest in a top quality diet for them because they are building those building blocks of their skeleton. And that's what they're going to be left with for the rest of their life. So it's, okay. it's really important to good make advice. sure they have a good, good advice. Diet. And a listener, uh, just finishing off where we started with the, the listener who's rehoming her granny's dog who sadly passed away. Somebody says, put a garment belonging to granny uh, with the dog he'll get the smell from the dog and it might just help the dog settle in a, a little yeah. bit and obviously somebody's speaking from experience well done okay listen Jane have a great week and we'll talk again next Thursday you too thank thanks you thanks a bye bye Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group Garda Don has been back to say the name of the box to look to protect your keys it's called a Faraday box F-A-R-A-D-A-Y Faraday box and there's also a word of warning coming in from the beach guards on Inchidani if you're out walking Inchidani today please beware there's sinking sand in part of Inchidani beach so please be extremely careful if you're heading to Inchidani for a walk on the beach uh, today okay that's where we wrap it up for today my thanks to uh, John Paul for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock until then, until then I'm Patricia Messner and of course our email remains open if you want to contact the programme when we're not on air you can email Patricia at c103.ie Until Friday morning at 10 I'm Patricia Messenger Have a very good afternoon Look after yourself and more importantly than ever stay safe Court Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to cmig.ie 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.